Welcome to Embrace the Musica, where we're going to dig into the raw, vulnerable, tough, and beautiful pieces of this journey called life. I'm Dominique Dines, who at the age of 21 moved abroad to Mexico to start teaching after growing up in a small town in Minnesota. My husband is from Peru, and we met salsa dancing 10 years ago in Guadalajara, Mexico. Here we are today raising two lovely tricultural kids. We speak more Spanish than English in our home and do a lot of salsa dancing in the kitchen. Embrace la Musica is going to be a place where we talk about what it's like being married to someone from a completely different culture, living in a place that neither of us grew up in, being a working mom, constantly fighting or accepting cultural norms, and all the things that keep us afloat, which includes a lot of heart and humility. So let's embrace the Musica today. Kimberly, it's so fun to have you on the podcast today. Kimberly McDaniel is one of those friends who has been in Guadalajara longer than I have and one of those people I'd always heard about when I first moved here but didn't get a chance to meet her until a few years later. But Kimberly is known for her big heart and for taking people under her wings when they first move abroad. She's a mom of three boys, which she'll tell us more about today, and she's one of the strongest women I've ever met as a breast cancer survivor. It's such an honor to have you on the podcast today, Kimberly. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to Mexico? How long have you been here and what first brought you here? Hey, Dominique, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, my my journey started in 1996. Oh, wow. Yeah, my my husband was moved here um, by a company and uh, an insurance company that inspects uh, Fortune 500 companies and for fire protection and um, alarm systems. And in his experience, he became an expert. While he was doing these inspections, he would meet different sprinkler and alarm system companies mm-hmm. and decided that he could go out on his own and do it himself. And so in 1998, he decided to start his own company. And we started out in Mexico City in 1996. And then he was looking at the market and decided Guadalajara would be a better place to uh, start a a business. And it seemed like a better place to, um, to raise a family. So in 1998, we moved to Guadalajara. Oh, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that you started in Mexico City. Yeah, we started in Mexico City because his company moved him to Mexico City from Dallas. Okay. And are you and your husband both from Dallas? He's actually from Louisiana, and I'm originally from Dallas. We met in Dallas. Actually, very. It's a very similar story to your story. Okay. Um, we fell in love on the dance floor. Aww, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so, being from the states, and then I know he decided to start his own company here. What was it about Mexico that made you both decide to stay here and raise your family? Um, specifically, Guadalajara is—it's a big city. It's the second largest city in Mexico, but it doesn't have a, a big city feel to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like a small town. It. it it seems like you kind of run in the same small circles mm-hmm. and it just it it felt like a the perfect place to raise a family i well number one i i love the weather of course <laughs> yeah, we love we love the weather all year long we have great weather um and it, it was easier than Mexico City. Can mm-hmm. I say that? Yeah, of course. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> no, I was going to say Mexico City is, I love Mexico City. I, don't get me wrong. I love Mexico City, but it was a big city and it was, um, it was overwhelming for this uh, Dallas, Texas girl. And um, I still love it. I love to go visit it. I love it for the nightlife. I... Um, compare it to New York City. I feel mm-hmm. like Mexico City is the New York City of, of um, Mexico. Yeah. But um, it wasn't the place for us to start the company. And 
um, and raise a family. Now, you've been in Guadalajara for many years then, and so I'm sure you've seen tons of changes over the years, because I know even in my 13 going on 14 years, like so much has changed, it's growing a ton. But, and you already kind of said you like Guadalajara because it feels like a smaller city. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you love about this city? Well, you know, years ago, I didn't realize that um, how art-centered Guadalajara is. We have amazing museums. We have we have Tlaquepaque, we have Tonalá, and because we haven't lived anywhere where else, I hadn't realized that until mm-hmm. um, our friends moved away. And all of them say how much they miss Tonalá and they miss Tlaquepaque and all of the mm-hmm. beautiful artesanía that we have. So I'm very attracted to that, as you know, I'm an artist and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very attracted to all things artesanía. Yeah, no, and I love that about you, and I love your house because it's so unique with all the pieces of art you put in there. And I'll also, just so everybody who's listening knows, I'll share Kimberly's Instagram with everybody because if you just look at her profile, I was just looking at it, it's just full of art and life and color, and I think it would make anybody want to move to Guadalajara. Um So Kimberly, you're an artist, but you're also a mom of three active boys. How did you find time for yourself over the years? And then what has it been like this year having sent your oldest off to college? I think the the thing that helped me, especially when the kids were young, I mean, at one point I had a new year, a, a newborn, a two year old, and a four-year-old and that was the hardest (laughs) the hardest part of being a mother and um thanks to the expat community and the foreign community we would get together at um parks for our uh, play dates and truthfully that saved me i was Mm -hmm. able to you know complain about you know all the things that we go through as as a mother and and living in a foreign country we were able to bounce things off of each other and that include um uh mexican women as well that would also kind of give us more insight into the culture and things that would make us a little uh frustrated or even angry at times um, you've mentioned it in, in um, one of your podcasts about like the whole late thing or uh-huh. <laughs> there's there's many different cultural things that we've um, I've come to understand uh, how the culture works now and that it's it's not something to be angry about. It's something to just uh, sit back, take a breath and and enjoy the moment instead of getting frustrated about it, because mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. But. So having these play dates with these women uh, kept me sane. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say to any mom right now that's going through that same stage, just you know, find your tribe. I know it's hard right now during this um, whole pandemic, uh, pandemic, <laughs> and being in isolation. Um, but for me, that's what helped me is to you know have you know just that handful of women that I could that I could talk to. Mm-hmm. And then when they went into school, mama was free. <laughs> as soon as I had them all in school, that's when I started, you know, volunteering with uh, the junior league, volunteering at the church, and doing things that that my felt my heart felt called to do, mm-hmm. and um, and doing those things uh, made me a better mom made me a better wife you know, giving sure. to the community was so so important to me and um i haven't looked back my life has kind of been the same since the you know the boys in school the boys and their activities you got to keep boys busy they have a lot of energy mm-hmm. <laughs> and um being a part of the community the ever evolving guadalajara community as you know you know absolutely you, we we meet people, we love them, they leave us. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's so hard. It, it's hard, but I'm grateful to have 
you know, spent just those couple of years with them and, and getting to know them and getting to know something different about their culture that's uh, expanded my mind. And, and, you know, there's, there's always something bigger and more than where you, where you came from, where you were born, where you were planted. No, for sure. And I think all of us who have moved abroad and, you know, I think we feel the same way. We just feel so blessed with community. And even though people come and go, as you said, um, it really is a blessing because we get to know new perspectives and traditions and all the things. And I definitely agree with you because I am currently kind of in that initial stage you talked about. And I feel like, especially now during the pandemic, the park are saving our sanity right now (laughs) like just getting out to a park and if we can do so with our masks and like see friends at the park it's you know even better just to have someone to talk to because it really is a hard stage with little ones at home Um, but you're now in a different stage because you just sent your oldest off to college this year right yes yes um how is that going (laughs) well I never thought I'd be that mother that uh, would be so upset when her firstborn went off to college. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say I was upset. It's it's a little bittersweet. Um, it was exciting. But I think because of COVID and because of mm-hmm. all the measures that they're taking to keep the, the kids safe, it, it was a different kind of college experience for my son. For sure. Um, he's actually in college here in in Mexico. He's in um, a state called Caretaro. Uh-huh. And it's a branch of Arkansas State University. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And so he gets a degree in um, Mexico and also in the States. So oh, that's so cool. It, it, he was going to be going to a school in Florida, and then all of this stuff started happening. It sounds like it's a great opportunity to get a dual like certificate or degree. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's what sold us on it. And then with this coronavirus happening, um, honestly, having him closer to me makes mm-hmm. me feel a little bit more secure about what's going on around us. They, they live in a bubble over there, literally. You're, they can't leave campus, and they, um, they get tested, and the teachers aren't even going on campus right now, so they're, they're still doing virtual learning within oh, their wow. dorm rooms. They're in their dorm rooms, but at least he's on, you know, on campus. He really wanted to you know, get out and you know, experience his first year away from home. Yeah. Um, who knows what will happen when he comes home for Christmas? Maybe he'll want to stay. I don't know. But, and are um, they are they giving him an option? Like, could he be on campus or at home? Or how is that working? Yeah, he can do that. He can. Okay. They have given that option to the kids. And many of them have decided to stay home. Okay. But they do have uh, kids from all over the world attending the school. So That's we'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of your family, just a few years ago, you and your family had some really shocking news. As all of us who know you, Kimberly, you've always been super healthy, super active. And so I know it was shocking the day you found out you had breast cancer. Can you tell us a little bit more about that part of your story? Sure, sure. Um, well, I've said that it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, Mm -hmm. yet also the best thing that ever happened to me. (laughs) Uh, The worst thing, because who wants to hear you have cancer? Yeah. Your your world crashes in on you, um, and you're in shock. But in that moment, uh, I had to make a choice. I had Mm -hmm. to make a choice to either fight or, or flight. And I chose to fight. I, I chose to fight. And um, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about uh, my family. And I learned a lot about my friends in this, this journey. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't change anything. I, I, wouldn't, I would never say I wish I didn't go through that because I have a, a better understanding of 
and, and an empathy for those that are going through any kind of um, uh, diagnosis as cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's terrifying. And as you said, I think, you know, it's the last thing anybody ever wants to hear. Um, you've been so proactive since going through treatment and recovering and just so proactive with talking to other women about breast cancer and also giving women advice. And I know I got to listen to you speak at the Junior League event last spring, the Empowerment Conference, and it was amazing just to hear your story and see you on that stage. Um, While you were talking, you were telling us all sorts of preventative measures we can take as women to take care of ourselves. And as the primary audience of the podcast is other women, can you tell us, like, what do you tell other women? um, With what kind of advice would you give them? Um, Don't put off getting tested. Mm -hmm. One of the most important things that you need to know about breast cancer is that you can have breast cancer and not have any symptoms. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't feel a lump. I felt completely normal as you said. I was the healthiest I have I've really I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was pushed by a friend to go to a gynecologist and get tested. And I didn't think anything of it. Seriously, I, I don't have breast cancer in my family. Um, but I went because I know that it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And and so I got tested and my doctor decided to run a more thorough exam. Many women just get the mammogram. I cannot mm-hmm. express this enough, uh, the importance of getting something other than a mammogram. Get blood work done and most importantly get the 3d ultrasound because that's how we found my cancer wow it it was a very small um they they call it a calcium deposit that showed up on the 3d ultrasound Mm -hmm. but it was um alarming enough that it needed to um have a biopsy done on it and fortunately they caught it so, wow. um, so number one, please don't put it off. I know, I know they um, preach that all the time, and you see it advertised all the time. The whole like women check your tatas, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, all joking aside, I'm it, it's serious. You do you need to go get yeah. checked out, and and um, also it don't put it off because you're afraid. You can do this. It's you, it's, it's with the support of family and friends, you can do this. And the, the risks of putting it off versus your fear uh, can be detrimental in the end. Mm-hmm. Early detection is the key. Um, number two, I'd really like to express that um, a lot of women don't know that there are many types of breast cancers. There's not just breast cancer. There's uh, there's more than 10 types of breast cancers, and there's subtypes of breast cancers. There's breast cancers that are um, hormonally triggered, and there's breast cancers that are not. So today, in your podcast, I want to tell you what type mine was. Mm-hmm. Mine mm-hmm. was called HER2 positive hormone negative, and my... My wish is that specifically more uh, famous people, people that are in the spotlight, share what type of cancer, what type of breast cancer that they have. It's very important because they're not all treated the same. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to take hormone supplements, but the type of breast cancer that I um, uh, was diagnosed with was very deadly. It was fast growing and it was aggressive and I needed to throw everything at it. And um, while I do believe in essential oils and I believe in yoga and meditating and my faith is strong, um, you have to throw chemotherapy at it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do your research. Um, That's my my third um, 
piece of advice to you ladies out there. Do the research. Uh, talk to Dr. Google. Um, I know a lot of people will say, don't do Dr. Google. I think everyone is different. Um, if you don't do Dr. Google, then go interview actual doctors. I interviewed like a minimum of six doctors, I think, before I came to the, to the correct one. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Doctors are not gods. They don't have all the answers, and they're there for you. So you have every right to ask uh, questions. Mm -hmm. And if you're diagnosed, if you um, do get that phone call, that test result that your uh, breast cancer is positive, don't, don't fret. You can, you can survive this. You can get through this. And you'll have lots of support along the way. Wow. No, Kimberly, thank you so much for sharing and just telling us about your experience. And I guess I forgot or didn't realize that there were no signs for you. Exactly. I didn't even realize that. (laughs) No, no signs. And and when I say I was the healthiest in my my life, I was the healthiest in my life. And, you know, keto is all the rage right now. I was doing keto before anyone knew how to pronounce it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and I remember, and you played like hours and hours of tennis every day, right? Yes, I was very um, active. Um, you know, it just, cancer doesn't, um, discriminate. Mm -hmm. It, it doesn't say, you know, you're poor, so I'm going to give you cancer. You're rich, I'm going to give you cancer. It's, it, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And so don't, don't deceive yourselves, ladies, by thinking that, oh, I'm healthy, it's not going to happen to me. Oh, and by the way, going back just a little bit, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. stated that um, I thought I didn't have breast cancer in my family. Uh, I, I did the genetic testing. Turns out I do have breast cancer in my family, but nobody <gasps> talked about it. And oh, wow. my, I know my mom passed away several years ago, and um, so I didn't have uh, anyone to, to ask about it. Mm-hmm. Um she didn't die of breast cancer, of course, but um, I say all that to say I thought it wasn't a, a genetic uh, predisposition, and um, and it actually isn't, by the way, because we keep talking about these subtypes of, of breast cancers, mm-hmm. but I, now I have to look at the fact that I, I do have a genetic predisposition to, to have breast cancer. So I also I would recommend probably getting um, genetic testing then. Yeah, no, this is all so good because even thinking about this myself, you just always think of, you know, and I know this is like we all do this with lots of different things in life. But even myself, I think, oh, like, you know, it's not in my family. It's not going to happen to me. But like you said, cancer doesn't discriminate. And Prevention is so important and yeah, early detection as well. Now you talked about your chemotherapy uh, treatment a little bit. How long were you in chemo, Kimberly? Over 18 months. Wow. Yeah, the the type of uh, breast cancer that I had, um, I had to get an additional amount of uh, therapy. that was in addition to the strong chemotherapy because of the the way this cancer eats at your body and it hides and it if you just did the um the normal chemotherapy the research was showing that it wasn't uh killing the cells um there's a movie called living proof Harry Connick Jr. is uh, the star in this movie. He's the doctor. Mm-hmm. It's based on a true story. The uh, the treatment that they come up with is for her two positive women, and okay. and it was just approved in Mexico not that long ago. So had it not been approved um, back, I think it was in the '90s that it got approved, and then. Um, uh, most recently in Mexico, I 
might not have gotten the specific treatment that I needed. Oh my and I could have died. And there are women today that still cannot afford this specific treatment and they're dying. And Gosh. I think breast cancer is uh, talked about so often and it's kind of, I think we've become desensitized to hearing about it. Uh, honestly, I was one of those people that if I had to donate to a charity, it wasn't breast cancer because, mm -hmm. and I'm ashamed to say that, but I say that because it felt like they were getting so much attention and, you know, they have the whole month of October and, you know, where's all this money going to and all of this, but don't get, don't get caught up in that trap. Mm -hmm. Know that there's still much more research to be done and, um, there are actually many more survivors now that, that they actually call um, metavivors because they're women that have stage four breast cancer, but they're living with it. Wow. Um, and we still, the research still needs to be continued. Don't give up on it. But I do recommend that you don't buy things like at your drugstore or your grocery store or um, places like that, like a t-shirt or a pen, that kind of thing, thinking that your money is going to breast cancer research because, uh, I don't know the statistic, but it's like, I don't know, between three and 10% that's actually going to help in breast cancer research. If you wow. really, wow. really mean well, and you want to help in breast cancer research, go directly to the source, like, uh, John Hopkins medical. Um, we can, uh, um, post some links if anyone is interested, but you need to donate to accredited uh, research facilities. No, that's good to know. I was going to ask you because to be quite honest, and I'm also ashamed to say this, I kind of like you, like I just, when I donate, I'm not donating to breast cancer research at all like it's not even on my horizon and I'm ashamed to say that because it hasn't personally affected me but I think this is such a great message Kimberly and it's so important so thank you for sharing your story and your voice on all of that um, how did your family deal with the news and I don't know if you want to share I know we're friends so I got to see all the pictures that honestly brought us all so much joy of you going through this process with that huge smile on your face. Like, I don't know what kind of crazy superhero strength you have, but can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the support you received from family and friends? Well, I do have to say um, that my strength was um, mostly from my faith, mm -hmm. faith that things would get better. I don't know. I just, I, from the beginning, I, it was shocking to me, um, definitely, but I don't know. I, I've, I felt a sense of peace from the very beginning. And the only thing I can um, say to that is that that was a, a higher being, you know, and, for me, that's God. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, you know, I've got this, you're going to be okay. And I just, I just hung on to that. And through that, as my, as my principal um, strength, I was able to smile through it. I was, Dominique, I was able to just be like, <laughs> okay, today was a day that wasn't so great. I threw up all day today. I thought I was going to die, but tomorrow's another day, you know? And, and I don't mean that to, to brag or to, to say, like, like you said, you know, superhuman strength, because we all deal with things in our different ways, but I just did it. I didn't, I mean, what else was I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> you just, you make a choice and you do it. And I think because of that peace that I had, I was just able to smile at everyone. I, I really wanted to make sure that the boys um, 
saw their mother as someone who was strong in her faith and um, was gonna make it through this. And and it's sad to like speak in terms of like, what if I didn't? Mm-hmm. But if I hadn't, I still wanted them to see me as a fighter who never gave up. Yeah. So I, I tried really to keep everything light and smiley and, you know, and my husband and I just, you know, we, we have a really great relationship and he showed nothing but a support and strength for me during the, the whole journey and, uh, whatever I wanted, whatever I wanted to express, he was, he was there for me. And I think the kids today could, they, I haven't actually talked to them, you know, since like the, the therapies and everything ended, Mm -hmm. um, to ask them like what they actually went through because these last, well, this last year has been about kind of returning to normal if they're, you know, is is a possible normal, right? I know. <laughs> but but I I would be really interested to um to ask them what they were seeing, but I, I would think that they would say, you know, they, they saw great great strength in in my faith and um my friends here. I I mentioned earlier I my mother passed away, my father passed away several years ago. Um so my mother-in-law came in and helped take care of me and helped take care of the kids. That was a huge blessing to have her here with me. Um, when you're living in a foreign country and you don't have your family, you know what that's like when you're sick and, and you have children that still need to be, you know, run around to their, their normal activities. It's difficult. So my friends picked up where my family uh, couldn't. I, I give everything, everything to these friends that are like family to me. Um, I like to say that I couldn't have couldn't have done it without them because you know we need we need our our tribe. Um, they uplifted me. They made me laugh. I I had so much support, Dominique. It was. Um, I and I should say if you know anyone that's going through this. Uh, be there for them. Don't don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to um, um, help them. Um, a lot of times, when you say, "What can I do to help?" Um, I know for me, it was I would just say, "Nothing. I'm good." Um, probably the best thing to do is just do something. Honestly, just do it. <laughs> Just, yeah. just, you know, take, if they have children, take over some things, you know, to occupy the kids or offer to grocery shop or offer, you know, those kinds of things. Just do, just do it. And uh, that would be helpful. Um, what else? Essential oils helped me. Um, you know, I do like combining um, traditional medicine with uh, essential oils, but, uh, you know, the, the, body aches and everything like helped me with the what's it called um, deep blue with bleed. deep blue mm-hmm. oh my gosh yes it was it was so great and even the smell helped with the nausea so I also as far as like physical needs when you're asking me how I got through this um it was a combination of uh um essential oils and traditional medicines but mostly I fought it without uh, traditional medicine because I, I have a drug sensitivity, so I tried not to take too many uh, pain medicines and such. Um, Kimberly, as you were talking, I was remembering one of the photos you posted that I think brought tears to everybody's eyes was just seeing how supportive your boys and Wade were. And the picture, I want to say it's a picture you're all wearing pink shirts and everybody shaved their head, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, After the first few chemos, um, it's that that dreaded time frame where you're going to lose your hair and you Mm -hmm. you don't know when it's going to happen. And it's kind of scary. And some women just shave their heads 
right away to kind of like empower themselves. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to wait. I wanted to feel it all. I wanted to feel everything in, in the cancer journey, whether, you know, it hurt or not. I wanted to feel it um, so I could feel what others were going through. And so I held on to my hair. Mm-hmm. And that day that you're talking about, um, I was uh, scheduling a photo shoot, a family photo shoot to, um, to in- encourage the kids and my husband and, you know, encourage myself as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been putting that photo shoot off for one reason or the other, that the photographer couldn't do it one weekend, et cetera. And then finally we did it. We, we set the date and I woke up that morning and I had a whole clump of hair fall from the back of my head. And it was devastating because I was like, no, couldn't you hold on just one more day, you know? And, and it actually hurts when your hair falls out. It's the strangest feeling ever. It feels like somebody's pulling your hair. It's a very, it's a very odd feeling. And I remember calling, um, my, my good friend, my sister friend, Lori, and, uh, I was really upset because, uh, what was I going to do, you know, about this photo shoot? I was going to cancel it. And she said, no, 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 you can do this. You can do this. And, um, she said like, comb it to one side or, you know, poof it up or something. So I did it. And so I, those, you can't, you can't tell in the photo shoot. It's actually on, on my Facebook. It's actually on my Facebook page, the picture, I think, of us as a family. And um, I have like two little strands of hair in front, but the back of my head is bald. And wow. and we did not plan to go get my hair cut. We just happened to be in um, uh, Club Santa Anita getting the, um, the photo shoot done. And they have a hair salon there. And in that moment, I looked at my friend Lori and I said, I, I think I want to get my haircut done now. And, and it was perfect because I had the photographer there and, um, we just walked around the corner to the club and my friend that's at the salon there, we did it. And everybody chose to, uh, shave their head. They all took a turn cutting big chunks of my hair out of my, out of my head. And when it was all said and done, it, I felt so much freedom and so much peace again. I know I keep saying that, but I truly felt peace and um, from the loss of the hair. And um, I don't know. And it was, it's funny because I look back at pictures and I really, I look like a, a bald baby bird <laughs> in some pictures, but I never felt like that. Isn't that funny? I never felt like, I don't know, bald, bald. It, it's it's funny to look back and go, oh my goodness, and think that my husband wow. and, and children had to look at that. But it was a very empowering moment, Dominique, to have us all there and and uh, at the same day of the, sh- the photo shoot, get our, our head shaved. That's amazing, Kimberly. I didn't realize the story behind those pictures. It's like <laughs> even more powerful and, Aww. you know, like just so meaningful. And how ironic or coincidental or whatever word you want to put there that it just happened to be the day you had your photo shoots exactly exactly um something you've kind of mentioned but i don't know if you have any specific maybe tips or um things that you and wade have done over the years for any of the listeners to keep your relationship so strong and centered Ooh, that's a really good question because how long um, have you been married now, Kimberly? Okay, well, <laughs> you want the sh- do you want the short version or the long version? <laughs> Whichever version you well, want to tell us. Well, no, no, seriously, I'm telling you, girl, when I was hearing your podcast the other day, I was thinking, wow, we have a lot in common. Um, I was engaged to be married before I met Wade. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but that didn't happen. And I met Wade, you know, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, the short version is that um, uh, we were dancing, and um, another guy that was dancing with me uh, that was giving me all this attention that I didn't like. Wade saw that from afar, 
and came in to rescue me and that was it <laughs> i'm <laughs> curious what what kind of dancing oh you know club dancing okay that's totally fine i was i wasn't Nine. sure if there was a specific genre or something no, i wish i could say something romantic like you guys like this whole salsa thing but my, no mine was all about 90s bar hopping perfect <laughs> i love it in dallas texas and it was so much fun but, but anyway, yeah, so that's how we that's how we met. And um, truthfully, so we've been together, let's see. Uh, we married in 2000, but we met in 1992. Okay, wow. Yeah, and he moved to Mexico before I did. And we kind of did the let's Off take a break. Sense. Yeah, oh, okay. let's, let's take a break. Um, is uh, more like it and I said you need to put a ring on it and, <laughs> and eventually he did and the rest is history um, but so that's how I ended up in, in Mexico with him but anyway I digress to the story of how we uh, maintain our relationship I have to say that you know we've been together a very long time and we've basically both grown up together. You know, we've had our ups and downs. Our, our marriage hasn't been perfect. Um, children put a total different dynamic to things. But we have tried to have quiet time and date nights and we've traveled together. My mother-in-law is such a blessing. She's come in many times and uh, babysat the kids while we were able to travel to um, different countries. And the children have always seen that. They've always seen their parents as, as a couple that enjoys each other. And we just, we make time for each other. They've never been the, the type of children that like scream and grab our legs when we walk out the door and leave them with a babysitter. They're, they've always been like, okay, see you later. We're heading for the chocolate. Perfect. <laughs> and we just, I think it's really important to not focus all of your time on your children when you're in that stage. Like, you'll be a better mother to those children if you find time to uh, do things for yourself and to strengthen your marriage. Like, think mm -hmm. about what brought you t together to begin with. And a test of a strong relationship is going through some of these hardships like, you know, like breast cancer. But I've been through other, you know, hardships in our marriage, like the loss of my father, the loss of my mother, and he's always been there for me. And I'm not always easy to get along with. And I think accepting that, um, that weakness in yourself is uh, a start to creating a better relationship, making things not about you. Um, a lot of times that's, that's my mantra. I, when I'm having an argument with him or, you know, he says something, I just step out of myself and I, I say to myself, this is not about me. And if I can, if I keep applying that, then I find a lot of release in that and and I think a lot of times in our relationships with each other whether it's uh, our husbands or our friendships or our our boss or even traffic if we make things about our, ourselves seriously if we make things about ourselves then we're more likely to react so I, I try to I try to use that as my mantra. It's not about me. And it, it helps me to not react, not respond, and to be, you know, more empathetic towards others. And specifically my husband. I've, I've come a long way, that's for sure. And uh, we just, when we don't agree with each other, we, we t let each other know. We don't let it build up. Yeah, no, I think that's so powerful, that piece about not making it about ourselves. And I appreciate your wisdom. I mean, you guys have been together for 28 years and married for 20. 
And you're definitely somebody that I admire. And I hope that we too can, can, you know, keep having fun together and enjoying one another and being creative with date night now that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, One of the things you mentioned too is as you were talking about your family and just through all the different life changes that you've always tried to find some time for yourself because you know you're a better mom or a better wife when you also have that time to yourself. And I know because I've been able to see your house and a lot of the work you've done over the years as far as it comes to art and you're always doing something new. Like that's why I love following you on Instagram or social media because I see you're painting something or tiling or appreciating beauty and corners of the world that we may not have noticed it before. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey um, to be an artist and how that's kind of unfolded over the years? I grew up in a very artistic family. My, my mother was an artist. She was uh, an interior decorator by trade. And my father was an architect. And they met at college. So it's in the genes for sure. And they, they encouraged uh, the arts in me when I was very young. And I ended up going to uh, junior high, um, was an art school. And then I went on to an arts magnet for high school and graduated from uh, that high school um, saying I will always have art in my life. Always, 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 always. Um, There's a professor from Bauhaus. His name is Joseph Albers. Bauhaus is a a German school that was like, probably getting these dates wrong, in the 1900s. And um, I love how he puts this uh, when it comes to art and learning art in general. Um, can, do you mind if I read this quote to you? No, I just, I, please, I love, go ahead. I love this quote. His name is um, Joseph Albers, and he says, art lessons always doubled as life lessons, and he believed that students who cultivated visual empathy would also develop social empathy. It's That's beautiful, isn't it? When yeah, you, no, I love that. I was just thinking about it. it. I'm like, okay, visual empathy. So that really, really struck me how art influences the world. And as artists, I feel like we almost have a responsibility to influence the world and to, and to see beyond uh, the shapes and the colors and um, and things that are physical around us, but look beyond that. Look, uh, Albers taught his students to respect the other material or, or color, um, which is actually saying respect your neighbor, respect the mm-hmm. other material or color, your neighbor, respect the one you weren't paying attention to. Now, in art, we, we can work with uh, recycled materials, we can upcycle, and to me, that's saying that exact same thing. We can parallel that to our human relations, uh, our relationships, and um, saying that and, and growing up with this, this knowledge and, and seeing the world around me in a different light, like coming from an mm-hmm. artist's point of view, it also, I, I have to bring religion into it. it. Seeing the world around me brings me closer to God. And mm-hmm. through art, I feel closer to God. And yet my experience with breast cancer transformed even my, my, my style of painting, my methodology. You know, I would just look at a simple, like the MRI or the the ultrasounds or the blood scans and I would see art. <laughs> I would see art in the figures and I, I have like sketches of, of little pieces of these tests that I had and one day I'll you know do something with that. One day I'll um, 
uh, I'll turn that into some kind of, uh, of art. And in, in the moment, it was like art therapy, um, much like a singer who writes a song about heartbreak and they use their life experiences. Artists uh, can do the same. They can, they're, they're visual artists, of course, but they can also take experiences and, and put it into a painting or a sculpture and, um, and create a feeling in you, maybe create a peace in you, maybe, maybe create anger, maybe um, provoke thought, but most importantly, it creates uh, community and it creates uh, communication uh, between humans. I love that. Like I can totally envision you someday telling your story and also helping others process theirs by sharing that art someday. I I hope so, Dominique. That would be that would be amazing. I you know, my brain is always clicking and trying to think of of new ways to um to create and uh but at the same time help mm -hmm. so how can we immerse uh those those two things how can we how can i create how can i give back can i i don't feel like i'm complete in the world unless i'm giving back so how can how can we do those things i have a, a lot of ideas in in my head and uh they're very raw but um it started out as thinking about art therapy You've had one of my, my painting classes, my quick little uh, uh, painting with uh, Picasso for your birthday. So I know. I forgot to mention that in the intro. It was actually, it was Vino with Van Gogh. Oh, you did? Okay, yes. Pastelitos con Picasso for the little kids. And then Vino con Van Gogh, wine with Van Gogh um, for, for the adults. It was so much fun. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, Kimberly's great. She'll go to your house and do like a pop-up paint party. And she made everybody feel like artists, even if I, I feel like I took the longest on my painting because <laughs> it just took me so much time. I was so nervous. It says a lot about your personality. That's what I love as a teacher. And that's always my, my goal when I'm in those classes is to, uh, to bring out the personalities in all of you. And uh, it's, I love it. I, it. It brings me so much joy to see you guys evolve and change and um, get out of your comfort zones, because, especially if you've never painted because everyone's so afraid. But through that, I just, I, everyone is like so relaxed and they have so much fun mm -hmm. after the sessions that I started researching art therapy. And I thought this mm -hmm. is a really good, thing I think I have you know something here so um, who knows what's gonna happen in the future but maybe I can turn that class into some kind of therapy maybe helping you know the children uh, in the Casa Hogar let's see we'll see what happens more to come on that right yes no and I'm so excited because we've talked a little bit just before we started recording today about your dream of sharing art and your love for art with others and i can't wait to see how that evolves down the road kimberly i'm just curious i forgot to ask you earlier do do you do pieces like do you do paintings for people like do you sell your work or is it more something you're doing on the side right now or what does it look like as far as the art you're doing, like, do people commission you to do pieces? I oh, Dominique, you hit a you hit a spot, you hit a sore spot on me there. Oh no, um, is this not a good question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm teasing. It's a uh, I oh, how can I put this? I I work best. I work best when I'm not under pressure. I feel I feel it starts to stress me out. If I have um, have like a goal to meet or you know something specific, I, I prefer to kind of paint from the heart and what I'm feeling in the moment or experience. Or if somebody says I give you free will to do ekizekis, whatever, and then um, and but just use these color choices or whatever, something like that, then I I think I would feel 
um, better because I'm more of a, of a contemporary abstract artist and um, I get a little stressed out when it's like a, a commissioned piece, um, honestly. But um, so they just, my, my work comes out organically and uh, when I feel the moment and I, I actually have a lot, don't let my children hear this, but I have a lot of unfinished artwork in my art studio. I, I start things all the time and I don't finish them and I don't, I'm working on that. I'm trying to figure out like what makes me stop. Like it's, I, it could even be kind of like what uh, we were talking about uh, a few minutes ago about there's so much emotion that goes into some of my, my work that mm -hmm. it, it, it can actually be emotionally draining on me in the moment. Does that make sense? For sure, because I think you're using it as therapy, as you said. Exactly. And so sometimes I kind of, I, just a quick example. I had a really good friend of mine who left uh, Guadalajara and, and she was like a sister to me and we're still very good friends, the best of friends. But she left and I had this goal of painting a painting for her that reminded her of Guadalajara. And so, um, and I started it just a few weeks after she left as kind of art therapy. And then I would start, you know, on one section of it and then I'd start crying. <laughs> and then I'd start another section and I'd, I'd start crying. And, and so, so I wasn't ready for it. And to this day, she teases me. She's like, is my painting ready? Is Aww. my painting ready? It's it's very funny, but um, I tend to stop, start and stop and start and stop. And the goal is to eventually finish, you know, several of those things that I've started. But I don't know, maybe that's that's a typical of an artist. If you go into someone's art studio, there's stuff everywhere, and <laughs> yeah. there's many different projects started. Um, however, I say that, but then. Like if it's something that's important and, you know, that I, if I like donate a painting to an auction, like the junior league auction or something like that, then I mm -hmm. tend to go in high gear and I'll stay up all night for several nights uh, to finish those paintings. Mm -hmm. And and those also give me much joy because <laughs> I'm, you know, helping, you know, in a cause. Yeah. And um. And so putting that deadline on me actually makes me finish the work. Well, you know, as you're talking, I feel like this is probably something like you said other artists struggle with. But I feel like also for all of my writing friends, I feel like the same sort of thing happens. Like you have all of these ideas in your head or maybe all of these stories half written or partially written. But I think it's a common Thing that we all experience and actually you and I were just talking about for anybody who's listening Kimberly and I were chatting before we started recording today that this week actually I'm launching a new community for everybody who maybe has dreams or an idea or if you're an artist with unfinished paintings or ideas to help others we'd love to have you join the community and just to be able to talk and strategize and figure out next steps for your, whether it's a dream, whether it's a business, whether you're just starting out, whether you're trying to grow your market, that's what this community is all about. So I would love to have Kimberly join us there too and talk more about her process. Um, but Kimberly, I just wanna say thank you so much for sharing your heart today, your journey, including all the ups and the downs. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners today? Yes, yes. Ladies, don't be afraid to create. Just quoting, quoting our dear Dominique, uh, go out there and, and follow your heart and make those dreams come true. Don't talk yourself out of creating something just because you don't know how it's going to happen. That's a great quote from Maryam Hasna. Don't talk yourself out of it. Create, create, create. The world's a better place when we're creating and we can do so much when we're contributing to, uh, to, to our, our, our beautiful 
our beautiful world. I love that message. And I think it's such a great way to wrap up this episode. And just to remind everybody listening to, yeah, follow your heart, follow those dreams, create, do that thing that's maybe in the back of your mind, but you've been scared to try. So Kimberly, thank you so much. I had a lot of fun today just chatting with you and learning more. That's what I love about these podcast episodes, because I think I know who I'm talking to. And then I learn all these new things in the middle of our conversation. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you for creating this podcast, Dominique. I love it. Um, I love that you have this heart to want to empower and inspire women. And may you continue to encourage and spread joy to, to many. Um, I'm blessed and grateful to call you my friend. If you enjoyed today's episode and if you were encouraged by the message, I would love to hear from you. Please subscribe, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, take a screenshot and post it to Instagram and tag me so that we can keep growing together. And until next time, with heart and humility, embrace la musica.